Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you, of course, by our good friends at Alumni Hall. The weather looks great in Athens this weekend, at least on Saturday and Sunday. So bring the family out and enjoy an awesome baseball weekend as the Diamond Dogs take on Princeton. And on your way into town, stop in at Alumni Hall inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center to pick up all the best Georgia baseball gear at the best prices that you will find anywhere because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. All right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and after skipping it last week as we tried to fit in a baseball preview, I am back today with another edition of the Friday Five, where I dive into five topics that are either related directly to our dearly beloved Georgia Bulldogs or the world of college athletics in some way, shape, and form that have caught my attention over the course of the past week. We are now firmly in the football offseason. We're in that weird time where we're far enough removed from the 2022 season and we're, we still have spring practice far enough away that there is not a ton of attention on college football right now. But that does not mean that we do not have college football and Georgia football to talk about. And that's where we're going to kick things off today. In case you missed it, I believe it was Dan Matthews from 680 The Fan that first reported this at some point yesterday on Thursday, I believe. And then Dog Nation picked it up and they read an article on it. Glenn Schumann, our defensive coordinator, our national champion defensive coordinator, is set to interview with the Philadelphia Eagles for their vacant defensive coordinator position. And if this actually ends up coming to fruition, he will be following Todd Munkin's footsteps as another coordinator to leave our program, not for another college job, but for the NFL. And coming on the heels of Todd Munkin leaving for the Baltimore Ravens, I know that has a lot of dog fans out there concerned. And I can't sit here and tell you that I am like not concerned at all. That would not be true. But I'm trying to do this thing in my life where I don't worry about things until they actually become a problem. That's certainly easier said than done, but I'm working on it. I'm trying. So this is the same way I approached Todd Munkin. I was not going to let myself freak out about it until it actually happened. And then that happened. And I actually liked the Mike Bobo hire. I know a lot of people out there disagree with me. So I'm cool with that. And I'm trying to approach things the same way with Glenn Schumann. If this does end up happening. He does end up going to the Eagles or some other NFL job this offseason. We will certainly, obviously, come on here and we will talk about it. And I'll talk about what that means for our team, what that means for recruiting, and how we move forward. But I don't want to get ahead of myself 
but I still want to talk about it today. I just want to approach it from a different angle. And when I saw this news, the first thing that came to mind for me was, honestly, it wasn't like, oh my God, we're going to lose Glenn Schumann. I mean, again, I'm not going there yet. I'm not going there until it happens. When this news hit, my mind actually went straight to the demands of a college coaching position, especially a defensive coordinator position, any kind of coordinator position, and the demands on the time and the family of those coaches, primarily as it relates to recruiting. Because there's a lot of demands in the NFL for a coach too. Don't get me wrong, especially in season. And it's a longer season. That That's certainly true. But the one thing they do not have to deal with is the year-round recruiting calendar. It has become a significant problem. I know these guys get paid handsomely. I know that they do. And that's part of the deal. You know what you sign up for. I understand that. But you also have to understand these coaches, college coaches, they do not live a normal life. Now, maybe you would trade your life with theirs. You want that excitement and you want to you just love football that much. And you love the University of Georgia and, and you have dreams about doing something like that. The glory, the opportunity to compete, all those kind of things, to challenge yourself. All those things certainly are appealing in some way. Absolutely. But you also have to understand that's basically your life. You get to spend very little time with your family. You're not home. You're just not home all that often. And when you are home, you're not on the road, you're at the facility, especially now with with summer rec- official visits, which was did not used to be a thing until all the Big Ten schools, all the schools up north started complaining about it with the official visits only happening during the season. And it was always cold on their campuses and they felt that was putting them at a disadvantage and they pushed to be able to have summer official visits when it's nice on their campuses. Well, that means during the summer, you have official visits almost every weekend. If not, you have unofficial visits. You have people on campus all weekend long, every single week of the summer, essentially. And then you have guys working out, you have camps, you have all sorts of demands on your time. You're constantly Constantly, year-round dealing with something. And then when you're at home, you can never get away from recruiting. Your phone's always blowing up. You always have to contact all these different recruits all the time, all year-round. I mean, guys, I see Kirby Smart out at like basketball games and tennis matches sometimes with his family, and they're all having a great time. Kirby's there. Yeah, he's there. But Kirby's not really doing much interacting with the family. He's on his phone almost the entire time. I sit behind him at the basketball game. You know, he's out. He's down there on the floor. I'm on the floor. I was on like... What, row five, uh, one of these basketball games a couple weeks ago. And I mean, I'm sitting there right behind Kirby Smart. And you're, I'm just sitting there watching the guy and he's on his phone the entire game. I don't know if he looked up and actually took in one second of that basketball game. That's his job. That's what you have to do. And, and while you're doing it, you know that's part of the job. But if you have a chance to still coach football and to go to a different level and still make comparable, if not more money, and you can remove yourself from the demands of the recruiting calendar, you'd be crazy not to think about that, especially if you're Glenn Schumann and you have a very young family. He's got a young daughter. I think he might have two kids now. No, he's got at least one who's who's very young, who was born relatively recently. And if you want to have like a chance to be a dad to some degree, or at least more of a dad than you can be at the college level, like the NFL is very attractive. I get that. So I look at it from that perspective. I think something has got to be done. And the NCAA has taken steps here and there to try to alleviate some of the demands and the stress of those coaching jobs, but they haven't done near enough. I think they need to go back and remove summer official visits. I think they need to take away the early signing period because it's too much on these guys. 
And I know a lot of you are sitting there saying again, hey, these guys are paid a million plus dollars. They're paid handsomely. It's part of the job. Just suck it up and deal with it. All right. I mean, you can go that route. I look at it from the standpoint of what's good for the game. What's good for college football? What's good for college sports? Because I love college football. I love college sports. You guys know, you hear me say it all the time. If you listen to the show for any length of time, I'm not a pro sports guy. Like, I'll watch it. It's fine. I watch Super Bowl, but like, I'm not that into it. It's fine. It's I don't have that kind of connection to it the way that I do college sports. It does not give me the same feeling the way that college sports does. So I, look, I'm not sitting here saying that like there's some crisis here in college sports right now and that there's going to be no good coaches left. But when you start to see guys like Todd Munkin and now a 32-year-old defensive coordinator and up-and-coming star who has really no ties to the NFL, who's never coached the NFL, when you see these guys start to look at those jobs you start to see the best and the brightest start to consider, you know what, should I make this jump? Should I make life easier on myself? Should I uh, try to give myself a chance to be around my family more and take away some of the demands of, of my profession? Unless changes are made to the recruiting calendar and other changes as well, but specifically the recruiting calendar, that, that's the big problem. I think you're going to continue to see more and more of these up and coming and maybe even established college coaches start taking a look at the NFL. I mean, hell, Willie Taggart just signed on to be a position coach with the Baltimore Ravens. That's a guy that's been in in the college ranks for a long, long time. I know his, his head coaching career hasn't really worked out, but I mean, that's a dude that's had multiple head coaching jobs. Now he's like, I'm, I'm done with this college stuff. I don't want to deal with this anymore. So it's the it's it's a combination. Yes, certainly, as, as I mentioned, I think the big thing is recruiting calendar. And then uh, you, you can't look past NIL. NIL and also the transfer portal, that's added two more layers to to this, the difficulties and the complexities of coaching at the college level is now you have to deal with, like, it's not just recruiting. Sometimes you can recruit your tail off and you get beat out because of NIL. And now with transfer portal, that's a whole other layer of recruiting that you're having to do and you're also having at the same time to work to keep the guys on your roster on your team and to keep them out of the transfer portal. The reality is, it's just harder now to be a college coach than it ever has been. That's why you saw guys like, you know, some of these guys have been around a long time and go back go to college basketball, Roy Williams, hang it up. But he didn't do the whole Coach K farewell tour, which was ridiculous. And But he just is like, dude, I'm done. Jay Wright, I'm done, man. Went to the Final Four. Jay Wright's young, man. He's relatively young as, as a coach. And he hung it up. He hung it up now. And the, and the word is that Jay Wright's going to get back into coaching at some point, but it's probably going to be in the NBA. He doesn't want to deal with NIL. He doesn't want to deal with the transfer portal. He doesn't want to deal with all those things. And basketball coaches don't have the recruiting demands nearly as much as football coaches. They don't have to recruit as many players. But in these guys, all-time greats are like, I'm done. I'm just not dealing with it anymore. And it's becoming a problem. And it's something I think absolutely has to be addressed. The NCAA is 100% at fault here, allowing it to get to the to the situation that we've gotten to now with NIL and the transfer portal and and of course the recruiting calendar is certainly under their control these things have to be addressed and if not you're going to continue to see big time coaches like this just pack up their bags and go to the professional leagues and as a, as a fan of college sports as someone who loves college sports that um that does concern me in the long term as for Glenn Schumann specifically, again, I just want to put it out there. Like, I'm not going to like dig into what this means for our team until it actually happens. And I know I'm going to get questions. I've already gotten a few questions on, on social media. Do I ha- do I know what's going on? Have I heard anything? I do not have any inside information, guys. I was kind of taken aback by this yesterday. Um, I will try to find out. If I hear anything, I will let you know. I, all I know is what you guys know that's been reported is that he is in discussions with the Eagles. He's talking to them. He's interviewing with them. That's basically all I know. I'll try to talk to some people. If I hear something, I'll put it out there and let you know. But right now, that's all I got for you.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, let's keep this thing rolling on. The second item I want to talk about today are the proposed rule changes to the clock rules in college football that could potentially go into effect as early as this season. If you haven't seen this, I know most of you have, but if you haven't, the first one is prohibiting consecutive timeouts, basically like if you're trying to ice a kicker, no more like back-to-back timeouts by the same team, no longer extending a first or third quarter for an untimed down if the quarter ends on a defensive penalty. I don't think that's going to have a massive impact, but that's one of the proposals. Now, the third and fourth proposals, these are the more aggressive and controversial proposals. The third proposal is that the clock will continue to run after first downs, except inside the last two minutes of a half. This is basically mirroring what they did with out of bounds. Remember, it used to be once upon a time when you ran out of bounds, the clock stopped until the, the next snap, right? Well, they did away with that. And now when you run out of bounds, it stops until they set the ball. When they set the ball, it, it, the clock starts again unless you're inside the final two minutes. So they're kind of trying to go in that direction. And then the fourth, which I think is the by far the most aggressive and controversial of the proposals, is that the clock will continue to run after an incomplete pass once the ball is spotted for play. Now, the first thing we have to address here is why. Why are they potentially pursuing some change to the clock rules? Why is this something that's being discussed? And I really don't think most people understand the impetus behind these proposed rule changes, why they're trying to do it. I think what I've seen, you know, just looking through social media, talking to a few people here around town, is a lot of people are under the impression that these rule changes are designed to just speed up the games because games are too long and it, it makes the product more difficult to watch. And it's it's better for these these networks who are paying big bucks, showing out big money for these games, for these games to fit into like a tighter window. And so I've seen a lot of people just suggest, hey, you know, the real problem is the TV networks. They're the ones with the problem. They're the ones with these long t- TV timeouts like CBS and I. Look, I know TV timeouts are aggressive, but that's that's not that's not the problem. That's not what they're going for. Like, and look, I, I know that TV timeouts are very frustrating, especially when you're at the game, you're sitting there like I am in all these games. Like, oh my God, especially when it's super hot. Yeah, they suck. You see a little dude waddle out there with, with the timer that he's holding up the, on the field and he just kind of sets it down like a stake and it's like, all right, man, I'm going to sit here for another two minutes and 40 seconds. I get as frustrated as anybody, but you also have to understand 
college football would not be near as widely available as it is today. You would not be able to find essentially every single game on TV someplace, somewhere, if it were not for those commercial breaks. I know they suck, but they're a necessary evil. It allows us to actually watch our team and watch any game we want to watch because team because networks can put those games on TV and they can get advertising revenue for it. So it's one of those things, yeah, it's, it's a nuisance, it's frustrating, but it also has to happen. I get it. I'm fine with it because I understand the economics of it. But this doesn't really have anything to do with trying to make games fit into a, a neater, tighter window for TV networks. That's not really what it's about. It's about player safety. That's what they're concerned about. They're trying to find ways to reduce the number of plays that players have to play. That's what they're trying to do, guys. Says, look, football, you know it is under attack. It's been under attack for a decade or so now with all the concussions, all the issues that have come up over the years, CTE, all that kind of stuff. And there are parents out there who do not want their kids playing football. They're not allowing them to play football. And that's all, that trend's only going to continue to increase as you see things like the NFL this past season. I'm sure a lot of you saw this in case you haven't. The NFL announced this year that they had more concussions this year than they had last year. And they've taken steps to try to alleviate some of the safety concerns. Obviously, the targeting penalty is a huge one. Now, I think that they need to tier that. And I've said that for years now. There needs to be like a like in basketball, flagrant one, flagrant two. It needs to be based on intent. You know, sometimes you hit somebody in the helmet and you don't mean to. It might be a glancing blow by the letter of the law. It's targeting you out for a game. That's too punitive, in my opinion. I think you need to look at intent. And you can say, well, officials should not be in the business of judging intent. They do it already with plenty of other calls. There is literally a penalty called intentional grounding where the referees are clearly by definition judging the intent of the quarterback. So don't tell me that they can't judge the intent of whether a guy is actually trying to launch himself and hit another player in the helmet with his own helmet. I think that's something that has to be addressed, but that's for another day. What they're trying to do is make the game safer because they are looking down the road and they're worried about the future of the game. They want kids to continue to play football. They don't want people to get hurt. I mean, it's just like a human decency thing. And football is an inherently violent and physical sport. All of you that have played football at any level, you know that. You understand that. I remember back in my playing days, waking up after a game the next morning and trying to just take a step out of bed, your entire body is on fire. It all hurts. Everything. And that's not even talking about concussions and long-term actual physical injuries. We're talking about just soreness and what it does to your body, the demands it puts on your on your body. So that is the angle that they are coming from. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to reduce the number of plays. And how do you reduce the number of plays that players are subjected to the violence inherent in the game? You make the game shorter. That's what you do. And that they're trying to find ways to do that. So on some level, I I'm I get it. I understand that. And I'm okay with it. Like there's certain rule changes when it comes to the clock that I'm fine with. I'm fine with the first rules. I'm fine with no consecutive timeouts. Um, I'm fine with not extending quarters on first and third downs. Um, and honestly, those are just to make like I don't even think that those two are really about player safety. Because I mean, look, like prohibiting consecutive timeouts, you call a timeout, no one's getting hit. It's not like saving a play. That that those two parts of it are really just about like making games shorter and more watchable. I, I will grant that. But the third and fourth ones, that's really where they're trying to reduce game time to reduce number of plays. I'm I'm more okay with the third proposal where they will run they will run the clock after first downs except inside the the two minutes of a half at the end of a half. I, I'm okay with that one. The one I have a major problem with is having the clock run after an incomplete pass. Like 
I understand trying to make the game safer. I'm all for player safety, but I also don't want to see like the essence of the game changed. And I, I, there's some rule changes that are just so drastic and so intense that I think they change like the fabric of the game to some degree. And I think that one is just a step too far for me. I am certainly not in favor of that. I'd be fine with the first two rule changes. I wouldn't love changing the, the first down thing, but look, like, we, we know the clock starts as soon as the ball set after a first down anyway. So that will take a few seconds off, you know, each play after a first down. I I know that's, that is a change. I'm okay with that one, but the incomplete pass one, I think that's just a step too far from me. Cause I mean, basically you're taking away, I mean, one thing you're taking away is, is strategy there. Like there's no more clock in the ball, right? So like if you're out of timeouts, you can't just clock the ball. You can't spike it anymore because the clock doesn't stop. That is a significant change to how the game is played. So I guess we'll have to sit and wait and see what is and what is not implemented. But the fact that they're talking about these things makes me think at least some of these are going to pass, at least in, in some form. And if not this year, at some point in the near future, I just hope they don't go too far and get too aggressive with this. All right, guys, let's keep this thing rolling. Let's move away from football for now, and let's talk about the Georgia basketball team. Look, I wish I had more good news to tell you guys. It has not been a good look lately, especially our road games over the past month, month and a half. If you go back and you look at our last five road games, now we have played good teams. We played Tennessee, we played Auburn, played A&M, played Arkansas, played Alabama, okay? These are all really good teams. But our last five row games, we have lost by 49 points, 32 points, 25 points, 21 points, and 29 points. We have lost our last five row games by an average of 31.2 points. That is beyond absurd. That is ridiculous. Now, sprinkled in there, we did have a nice win at home against Kentucky, a seven-point win a couple Saturdays ago. We had, uh, I mean, a very uninspiring win against the worst team in the league, LSU, at home. A two-point win there. We were down for large stretches of that game. But, hey, we won late. We were able to get that dub. But on the road, it has been an abject disaster for us. And look, I understand that we are clearly outclassed from a talent standpoint against the best teams in the league. Like we we don't really have a chance to beat the Alabamas of the world, the Arkansas of the world, the Tennessees of the world, the Auburns in the world, especially on the road. Like, hey, we beat Auburn earlier in the year at home, but when we have to play on the road against teams that have so much more talent than us, we are getting absolutely destroyed. We are not even remotely competitive. Now, to be fair, Terry Roberts, our best player, our best scorer, was hurt for a couple of those games, but he's been back for the last two blow, blowouts. He was back for the Alabama game where we lost by almost 50 points. He was back for the Arkansas game on Tuesday where we lost by 32 points, and we're not scoring enough, and, and that's been a problem for us at times throughout the year because, look, we don't have elite players. We don't really have a ton of guys that can create their own shot. We have Terry Roberts, but he's been kind of banged up. He's back in the starting lineup, but he hasn't been himself since coming off the, the concussion. Kerry Oquindo, I've talked about him plenty of times. Like He's a guy that has all the talent in the world, but he's not a guy that consistently creates his own shot. When he just puts his head down, tries to get to the rim, that's when he's at his best. He doesn't do that consistently enough. He's not always assertive enough, in my opinion. But outside of those two guys, I mean, occasionally Justin Hill's a guy that can create his own shot, and he's gotten more looks. He's gotten more playing time. Outside of that, we have nobody else. Nobody else on the team that creates their own shot. They just simply don't. They cannot do it. So if those three guys aren't having good nights and they're not scoring for us, especially if Terry, if Terry and Cario are not scoring for us, 
we have absolutely no chance. We have no chance. Like for us to have any chance, especially against the better teams on the road, those two have to be at the top of their game and they have to be scoring big numbers. And both of them, we can't just have one of them. We have to have both of them because we don't have guys off the bench that are going to be picking up the scoring slack. So when they don't score and they haven't been lately, we can't win. But it's so much more than just the scoring issues. The biggest issue has been defense. Guys, we gave 97 points to Arkansas, 108 to Alabama. We gave up 82 to AM. That's certainly not an offensive juggernaut. Gave up 94 to Auburn. Auburn's guards freaking suck. This is a team that scored barely 40 points against Tennessee. They scored 94 on us in Auburn. Um, Tennessee, who really struggles offensively, scored 70. South Carolina, who's not a good basketball team, and this is in Athens, scored 78. Vandy scored 85 on us. Over the past month and a half, our defense has fallen off the face of the earth. It's looking it's looking more and more like it did last year. Guys, our last two opponents, Alabama and Arkansas, they've each shot over 61% from the field against us. Arkansas has had major issues shooting the basketball this year, guys. I know Nick Jones just got, or Nick Smith just got back, and he was one of their top recruits, but he's still working himself back from injury that had him out for two months. They shot almost 64% from the field against us. They are one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the entire league, and they shot 55% from three against us. I know we are outclassed. I know we are outmanned. I understand that. But that's just simply an effort thing. There is no way on earth that you can allow a team to shoot 64%. Back-to-back teams shoot over 61% against you. Have a team shoot 55% from three. And the game before, have a team shoot 47% from three against you. That's an effort thing. That's a that's a focus thing. We're giving up way, way, way too many easy looks. Communication's been a problem. I'm going to call it how I see it. I think effort's been a problem. Effort was not a problem earlier in the year when we still had the whole season in front of us and we had designs of potentially making an insulate tournament. I think now these guys see that the tournament's done, like we're not going to make the tournament. And like, I think we all knew that, but the players don't know that. They think hey, inside the locker room, hey, we got a shot. And our record was kind of like in the position where like, hey, if we made a run and upset a couple of these teams down the stretch, some of these, these top teams got some quad one victories, maybe we could kind of sneak in there and, and surprise everyone. You and I knew that wasn't going to happen. The players don't look at it that way. I think now they're kind of seeing, oh, well, it's not going to happen. And I think that has had an effect on their effort. I truly believe that it has. But whatever the issue, look, there's a lot of issues out there. Again, we're outclassed. I don't think the effort's there. We don't have enough scores. We've got to go out and recruit some guys that can actually create their own shots. We've got to recruit more shooters out there on the court. We have too many guys out there, as I've said many times on this show over the past month or so. We have too many players out there on the court at any given time that simply cannot score for us. I'm of the opinion that we cannot have Juice Holt and M.A. Moncrief on the court at the same time because they give us absolutely nothing on offense. Yeah, sure, they're both athletic. They can defend a little bit, but not enough to compensate for the fact they simply are a an absolute negative scoring threat. They give us absolutely nothing. They don't even defend these guys. They really don't even have to defend them. Like when they take the ball and they start dribbling towards rim, like what are you doing? You're just gonna turn the ball over. These guys give us no threat whatsoever. I don't I'm fine if one of them's on the court at a given time. We can't have lineups on the court where both those guys are in there in the game at the same time. And we've had plenty of lineups where we've had Holt, we've had Moncrief, and we've had Frank Anslem on the court at the same time. That's three dudes that give you absolutely zero scoring threat. And look, I know that Mike White's hands are tied to a degree because you can't have, you know, your best scorers play 40 minutes a game. I understand that. We don't have a lot of options. The options are limited there. But we just got to get guys that can score into this program. We've got to find that. Now, it doesn't matter if you don't defend, but defense wasn't a problem earlier in the year. I mean, the guys, I think we were playing a little bit harder. I think we were communicating better. But it's just fallen off a cliff. And yes, the competition has picked up. That's to be that's to be sure. Like that's that is a real thing. But we're just not even remotely competitive right now. And it, it is hard 
to watch. And I'm, I'm suffering through these games like most of you are out there watching them. But I got to admit, man, it is getting harder and harder with each and every passing game to watch what's going on out there on the court. Now, good news is two of our last three games are at home. We have been very good at home. Now, we screwed around and lost a, a terrible Ole Miss team at home um, by four points. And or, I'm sorry, Ole Miss. Yeah, we lost to Ole Miss by four. We lost to Vandy at home. At the time, I thought that was a bad loss. Lost to them by three. But Vandy's actually been pretty solid. They're over 500 in the league right now. They're not going to be the tournament, but they're pretty good. But at the time, honestly, at that in that game, their best player, Liam Robbins, didn't play. He didn't play at all. So uh, that still wasn't a great loss at home. Other than that, like we've been good at home. We've been competitive at home. Hey, we beat Kentucky at home. Kentucky's now had a really good run following our game, but we beat them at home on a Saturday. But we get Missouri at home, and we get Florida at home over the next two games. Those are both very winnable games. I know Missouri's better than us. They have some really nice wins, but that's not an overpowering team. That's a team that if we play well enough, if we can get Terry Roberts and we can get Aquindo both scoring and we get a little bit of help from some of these other guys, then I think that that's a game that we could potentially win this weekend. Uh, Florida, that's a game without Colin Castleton, who is clearly their best player. He's out for the rest of the year, broke his wrist. That's a game I think we can also get at home next Tuesday. And then at South Carolina, they're playing a little bit better right now. They, they push Alabama to overtime last night. But that's a game, like that's a team that we've already beaten. We can beat South Carolina, but I'm just very, very reluctant to say that, oh yeah, we're going to go into Columbia and win that game because we have struggled so much on the road over the past month or so. But I still think we're at six conference wins right now. I still think that we have an outside shot to get to eight. I think we can get to seven. And if we can get to seven or eight conference wins and get to, you know, 18 wins, I think that that is a really successful season, setting the foundation for us moving forward. But we got to stop these absurd blowouts like we have to be more competitive like i'm tired of watching that you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lipsandads.com now that's l-i-b-s-y-n ads.com you're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, let's talk a little Georgia baseball. So I took in the season opening game against Jacksonville State on Friday. I stayed the entire game. It was about. Oh, I don't know, about 41 degrees and 20 mile an hour winds. I was frozen solid. I didn't bring my gloves. I thought I'd be okay. And uh, I instantly regret that once I got into Foley Field. But I stayed in Washington because it was, a, it was a pretty competitive game. We got down early. We were down 4 nothing early. We fought back, took the lead, and then we gave up. Or we didn't. Yeah, we took the lead. And then we gave up three runs in the bottom of the top of the ninth. Didn't lose in that game 8-5. What I really want to focus on with the baseball team. I mean, we, we bounced back on Saturday and Sunday and won the series two, two out of three from Jacksonville State. I wish we would have gotten the sweep, but I'll take two out of three. You want series wins. But what I want to focus on more than anything is what I talked about last week when we did the baseball preview. Our pitching was exactly what I thought it would be. 
it was a problem. Our starting pitching, at least. It was an absolute problem. Jaden Woods, the guy I told you about last week, and you guys, if you follow Georgia baseball, you know about Jaden. He's got uh, he's got good stuff. He's got a good fastball. He's got a really good arm. But he hasn't developed enough pitches to go along with it. And he ha- has had some major, major control issues. I mean, just been flat out wild. And that was the same exact case on Friday night in the season opener against Jacksonville State. Dude went two innings, walked five batters, hit another guy, and gave up two jacks. Now, the wind was blowing like straight out to center field. But I don't care if the wind wasn't blowing at all. Those balls were hammered. Like, they crushed. Those were going to be home runs even if the wind was absolutely dead. Even if the wind was blowing in, those were probably out of the park. I mean, those balls got absolutely crushed. And that's been Jaden Woods' M.O. He walks guys. He, well, he strikes out guys or he walks them and then gives up jacks. That's what he does. Strike out, walk, or jack. That's what the guy does. He gets hit hard every single time he goes out. Now, if he can strike him out and just keep their bat away from the ball, great, awesome. Had three strikeouts, had some nice, nice moments in that game. But you can't put runners on base as consistently as he does. And with that fastball that he just keeps up, he, he just has so much trouble getting the fastball low in the zone. And at this level, I don't care how hard you throw the ball, they're going to crush it, especially when you cannot keep them off balance, off speed stuff, because you haven't really developed much of an off speed game. And I was hopeful that throughout this offseason, Jaden would be able to, to take his game to the next level. I had been hearing that he'd been working on a slider all offseason that was really looking good. I didn't see much evidence of that in, in week one. Now, it's just one game. It's just one game. I'm trying not to overreact, but it's the exact same thing that we saw from Jaden last year, and that certainly has me concerned if he's supposed to be our Friday starter. Because right now, we do not have a clear answer on Friday nights. And if, if he comes out there and does it again, I, I think his leash is going to be pretty short. He'll get the ball again against Princeton tomorrow night. I really, really, really hope he bounces back. And look, guys, I'm rooting for Jaden. I want him to be good, but I just got to be honest with what I've seen out there. And then on Saturday, Liam Sullivan was a little bit better, but he wasn't especially great himself. He's a guy that I also was hoping would take another step forward this season. There were a couple of errors in the field that actually hurt him. He actually didn't give up any earned runs. Gave it three runs overall, but they were all unearned. He did walk a batter, actually hit two batters. So his control was, I mean, slightly better than what we saw from Jaden Woods, but not all that much better. And then on Sunday, we had true freshman Blake Gillespie get the ball. And he's always a little nervous out there. He went three innings. He did give up five earned runs. He had some really good moments, got out of some trouble, but... Ended up giving up five runs in three innings, get two walks. His, his issue wasn't as much control. He just was a – you could tell that there were some jitters out there in his first start. I, I liked his stuff, though. I think this is a guy that's got enough pitches to be an effective player for us, an effective pitcher for us. But the starting pitching wasn't great. It it, it was a problem, and that was my big concern heading into this season. I hope it was just a, a, a one-series thing. I have my doubts, though, guys. I really do. Now, the one thing I do want to say that I think was really, really encouraging, our offense was great. I thought our offense would be awesome. Our lineup is is killer. I think it's going to be one of the best lineups in the entire SEC this year. Like we have, we have guys that can hit the ball. We have some thumpers up and down the lineup. I love what we've got there. I think we're going to be great there. But... I was also concerned about our bullpen. Our bullpen was the biggest issue last year. Our starting pitching was fine for the most part. Our bullpen was a major problem last year. And we went out and we addressed that. We added a bunch of new guys into our bullpen. And we had a lot of depth. And all those guys that we added did not give up one 
single run all weekend long. In fact, in 12 innings pitch combined over the course of Saturday and Sunday's games, our pull, our bullpen gave up zero runs. Now, Friday, I thought I was actually sitting there on Friday about to tweet something like, dude, like our bullpen, I love what I've seen here. The starting pitching wasn't great, but our bullpen looks to be much improved. It's much deeper. I like our new options. And Chandler Marsh comes out there who's who's going to be really good for us. He's going to be our closer this year. And he comes in in a tough situation and ends up giving up three runs. And that was the deciding factor in the game. They ended up scoring three in the ninth and they beat us 8-5. But outside of that, like that ninth inning, we didn't give up any runs. Our bullpen did not give up any runs all weekend long. And I know it's Jacksonville State, but guys, it didn't matter who it was last year. Our bullpen was getting crushed. So this might just be a season where we're going to have to lean heavily on the bullpen. We get into it faster than we would like to, but and that's not ideal. It's certainly not ideal, but if we do have more pitchers than we've had, more guys that can actually go out there and get outs in, in the pen than we've had in years past. We've got more depth, so if we need to do that, I think we're more equipped to lean on them than we have been in years past. So I don't know, man. It's gonna be, there's going to be a lot of high-scoring affairs with this Georgia baseball team this year, and we're just going to try to outscore people. I don't know how effective that's going to be. Hopefully the starting pitching can come along, and maybe it was just an early weekend thing and I'm overreacting. I don't know, but it certainly was not a good start for the Georgia Bulldogs starting pitchers last weekend against Jacksonville State. And finally, guys, I'm going to wrap things up today by giving some love to our tennis dogs, both the men's and the women's tennis teams. I wanted to talk about the women's tennis team last week, but we I had to skip that episode because I wanted that baseball preview. But two weekends ago, the women's tennis team made it all the way to the finals of the National Indoor Championship. Our girls played for a national championship and came up ever so slightly short to North Carolina, who is just an awesome girls tennis program, women's tennis program, guys. I mean, they are the four-time now defending national indoor champion. And let me correct that, four consecutive national indoor championships. The last team to win a national indoor championship that was not North Carolina Tar Heels was the Georgia Bulldogs. Katarina Jokic clinching that against North Carolina five years ago. It's hard to believe that was five years ago, but it was. But I really love this Georgia women's tennis team. I think they have national championship type stuff. I really do. I mean, North Carolina is awesome. Texas A&M is really, really good this year. They were really good last year. They won the SEC. There are some really good teams out there, but I think on any given day, we are good enough and deep enough to be any team out there in the country. And I think the big difference for us this year has been Leah Ma on court one. I've talked about this girl in years past. I know some of you don't follow tennis as closely as I do or as Charlie does, but Leah is a girl that is just so talented, so talented. I think, in fact, I mean, Katarina Jokic was so good for us and so talented on court one for so many years, and she was just the most clutch player ever. I think Leah is more talented, you know, to my untrained eye, to my amateur eye than Katarina, Katarina was. But the thing I always thought separated Kat from Leah was just like the mental aspect of the game and just like that killer instinct. But Leah has turned a corner this year, guys. Like this girl is playing the best tennis of her life. She beat the number one player in the country from North Carolina a couple weeks ago. She beat the number three player in the country um, during the course of the, of the National Indoor Tournament. She is playing lights out out on court one. She's playing the best tennis of her entire Georgia career. She's playing like the player I thought I was hoping she would be when we got her when we landed her. She was a big time recruit. And if she can continue to play at that level, and I don't see why she can't, then the sky is the limit. Like we have national championship potential if she can continue that play because we're we're really deep. We're strong at court two with Dasha Vimanova. Mel Riasco is a little bit of a slow start the year. She hasn't quite built on the, the strong finish she had last year, but she's so talented and she's gonna get together. I have no doubts about that. Meg Kowalski is Meg Kowalski. She's she's just so rock solid for us in the pit on the bottom four courts. Anya 
Hurdle has been really good for us on court five. And maybe the, the biggest development of the entire national indoor tournament for us was the emergence of Gigi Grant on court six. She, Gigi is, I think, probably our best doubles player. She's a fantastic double player. She's got great hands. She's got great reflexes. She's just really smart. She sees the court well playing doubles. Um, she hasn't been a fixture in our singles lineup. She's gotten some opportunities, and she took the most she took advantage of her opportunities this past or two weekends ago, I guess, in uh, Seattle, the national indoors. She clinched the match for us in the semifinals to send us to the championship match, and it was close, guys. I, I don't know if we were like we ended up winning that match four two. It like we might have lost the other match there, and so Gigi clinching was gonna was was huge for us, and she played just so well in in, in such big moments. So I think she's kind of locked up court six if everyone stays healthy at least for now. We'll see how it progresses, but I thought that was a really encouraging development. So I'm really excited about that. And then the guys now the guys did not make it to the ch- national championship match of our national of the national indoors in Chicago last weekend, but they had a great weekend nonetheless. They won two top 10 matchups to beat South Carolina, who was number six, beat USC, who was number seven. We lost to USC in Orlando, uh, was it like two or three weeks ago? So we got a little revenge there. And with those two wins over the weekend, those two top 10 wins, our guys jumped back inside the top 10 to number eight nationally. I think it's only up from here. What really kind of been hurting us the first month or so of the, of the season, at least on the indoor in the indoor season, is Ethan Quinn. Ethan Quinn, who had just an incredible summer. He's the most talented player in our team. He plays court one as a freshman for us. He was struggling a little bit to open the season. He was losing to some guys that he beat in the fall, that he beat in the summer. Some guys that he beat multiple times in the fall and summer. And he just wasn't playing the way that we had saw him play all summer long. Now, playing indoors, it's a, it's a different game than playing outdoors. Maybe Ethan's just not an indoors player. But I was really, really happy for him in that match against USC, a guy that he lost to a couple of weeks ago in Orlando. He beat him in straight sets to clinch the match for us. His first match clinch for us as the Georgia Bulldog on court one. He was emotional afterwards. Like, again, he's, he's short a little bit. He's better than that. And I think Ethan is, is on the right track. And I'm very excited to see where Ethan goes during the outdoor season. But look, like if Ethan can get back on track and play the way that we know he can play, we have a couple of super seniors with Trent Bride, Phil Henning, and Blake Croyder who have been awesome for us. And like Trent, who used to play court one for us, he's playing court three right now. He's had a really, really great start this season. I'm really happy for him. He just seems like a great dude. All those guys are great dudes, and I want them to have success. They're vets. They played so much tennis for us. And it really comes down to do we win the doubles point? If we win the doubles point, we have enough depth in the singles lineup to beat anybody in the country on any given day. We absolutely do. So I'm excited to see where we take this thing in the outdoor season. We, we, we lost a couple matches that we had no business losing. Losing to Florida State, and I was on the road. Losing to Illinois, I had no business losing that match. And, and our coaches would tell you that. Our players would tell you that too. Like We had no business losing those matches. But I was really excited to see us get back on track in Chicago with those two top 10 wins. And hopefully that's going to help us build heading into the outdoor season, which opens next weekend. Conference play. It's hard to believe. Conference play starts next weekend but all right guys that's all i've got for you guys today i hope you guys enjoyed this quick little recap of some of the things that caught my attention the course of the week thank you for being here i hope everyone has an amazing weekend enjoy the weather wherever you are if you get a chance come up to athens and take in some baseball games made the basketball game uh with missouri, with missouri coming to town i hope you guys have one heck of a time but uh thank you for being here guys appreciate you i'm tyler and as always go dogs <laughs>